I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, the rise of the synthetic opioid fentanyl on San Francisco's streets. From 2010 to last year, the number of fatal overdoses attributed to fentanyl in the city went from 6 to 57, and there are indications those deaths are still climbing. Our health reporter Aaron Alday is back to talk about why this national epidemic has hit San Francisco and why fentanyl users are doing the drug even though they know it can kill them. Aaron Alday, right after this. Aaron Alday, welcome back. Thank you. So excited to be back. Well, Aaron, um, you are here because you wrote a story that is really frightening. Um, we had been talking around the office about the rise in uh, fentanyl overdoses that we were seeing on the street in San Francisco, and you checked it out. What did you find? Right. So we had been hearing more about these fentanyl overdoses. Um, it's been going on for a few years now. And just asking the uh, the public health department for some more recent information, um, learned from their preliminary figures from 2018 that for the first time, fentanyl overdoses, deaths from overdoses, had surpassed um, all other um forms of opioid overdoses. So they surpassed heroin and also surpassed prescription opioid overdoses. Um, this is something that we had sort of bracing for, the, the, the city um, had been bracing for. I think we'd been kind of, you know, the newspaper on the lookout for it. Um, but it still is scary. And, and what it means is that fentanyl is firmly embedded now in our, our street drug scene. So you reported that in 2010, there were six overdose deaths in San Francisco attributed to fentanyl. And last year, that number hit 57. Correct. Wow. Okay. Well, I want to ask you about the numbers, um, why people do it, uh, what the city is doing to fight back. But first, um, I wanted to ask you about the reporting of this story. You write about a man named Roger Boyd um, that you spoke to who was a fentanyl user. Um, Tell us about meeting him and what you found. Sure. Sure. You know, we had decided, me and uh, and a photographer, Jessica, had decided to go out and and just try to find some people on the street who were using fentanyl just to talk about what their experience was. And to be honest, I thought we would kind of have to wander around the Tenderloin for a while, you know, introduce ourselves, tap on some shoulders, that kind of thing. I got off the BART station um, at at, uh, Civic Center, walked like a block and a half up the street. The very first people we saw and went up to were actively using fentanyl when we walked up to them. Um, it was just kind of remarkable how easy it was just for us to find um, and just, you know, introduced ourselves to Roger and his friend Shay and asked what they were doing. They explained that they were using fentanyl. Um, and to be honest, also, I was surprised that Roger um, was very forthcoming about his use. Um, he said he's been a longtime heroin user. He prefers heroin. He would rather still be using heroin. But all of his friends use fentanyl now, um, and it's just it's easier to get his hands on. Um, it's cheaper. Um, they're just there's a lot of kind of convenience factors for it for him. But he also told us that he's scared of it. He's scared of overdosing. He's seen a lot of people overdose on it, um, and that was actively on his mind. And he was incredibly forthright with us about wow. this. Yeah, I was surprised, too. And I wonder why do you think he was so honest about his his drug use? Um, you know, I think some of that has to do probably with San Francisco's culture of harm reduction. Um, they put a lot of emphasis in the city on kind of being open with people about um, about addiction, about their drug use, about reducing stigma. 
And, you know, a lot of that effort is because the the feeling on the public health and harm reduction side is that the less stigma you can have around these these drugs and the uses and the more conversation you have, the safer people can be, the fewer deaths you'll have. And I kind of got that impression from these guys and talking to them that, you know, in their community amongst their friends and their buddies, and they talked about this a lot, that they have to have each other's backs. Um, they have to be really frank with each other. Okay, you know, I'm... I don't know that they're saying sitting down and saying, I'm about to use some fentanyl. Everybody watch me. But, you know, they're very open with what they're doing with each other. But more or less they do. They. Yeah. He described uh, watching each other. He described not doing it alone. Right. um, So that if someone does overdose, you're right, they can use uh, Narcan, Naxalone, the the antidote drug. Yes. Yeah. They all carry it. Um, They've all used it uh, multiple times. Um, Roger's friend Shay, who was talking to us. He actually told us he had just used his last Narcan. Um, they come in kits of 10. So you get 10. Um, uh, I think he was using the uh, nasal inhalers. Um, they come in kits of 10. And he had used his last one the day before and was talking about needing to stop by the needle exchange to pick up a fresh 10 pack. Um, he told us that he'd actually used it 63 times um, is how many times he's wow. used Narcan. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, yeah, these guys were extremely familiar with it and, you know, ask them, what does an overdose look like? And we're just right off the top of their head. You know, somebody turns blue in the face their 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 lips turn blue. Um, they look like they're holding their breath like they just knew instantly, you know, how to identify somebody's overdosing and what to do. Wow. Well, let's get a few basics out of the way. Uh, what what is fentanyl? Sure. So fentanyl is a synthetic opioid. So. Opioids in general are made from the uh, opioid poppy plant, so they're a a plant-based thing. But there are synthetic opioids, which is a lot of our prescription um, painkillers are synthetic, meaning they're made in a lab. Um, And fentanyl is one of those. And it's actually been around since the 60s. It was developed quite some time ago, Um, but primarily used as like a synthetic, it would, uh, sorry, an anesthetic. Um, It would be used just for kind of acute pain. And then in the 90s, they developed the patch and um, and it started coming in patch form and in lozenges. So you could have like hard candies or lollipops that people would suck um, to get their kind of fentanyl dose. Um, These are people in extreme pain. Exactly. So in the 90s, it started to be used for extreme chronic pain. So post-surgery is is a common use on um, people in, in severe cancer pain. So people who have very severe intractable pain. And you want like a really intense but slow releasing drug. Fentanyl is kind of the go to choice for that. And so it was in patch form and again, in sort of these hard candies that you could suck on. Um, and that's kind of where it stayed. It was on the streets a little bit, like in the 80s and 90s, is my impression. It wasn't like it didn't exist on the streets, um, but it really took off as a street drug in a big way, probably about a decade ago. Um, and what I think there's there's a distinction to be made that the street drug is not the same as what is in, you know, you get in a hospital setting. It's not the same as a prescription. It's, um, you know, the same kind of chemical formula, mm. but it's manufactured illicitly in these labs, usually in China, and then brought into the United States um, illegally via Mexico, via Canada, sometimes straight from China, and then just distributed here on the streets. So this is the original product isn't from a lab that's manufacturing it for medical use. They're specifically manufacturing it for addicts. Correct. Yeah. So you can get, you know, illicit prescription fentanyl like on the dark web or something. um, But that's not a very common thing. What we're seeing on the street is this stuff that's made in China. 
Wow. And so you write that in the East Coast, we've seen a, a bigger problem over the years and that it seems to be spreading West. Um, how do we first see it start to emerge in the Bay Area? So that's that's interesting, actually. Um, it first sort of the first reports of it in the Bay Area were about 2015 or so. And I think the very first time it came to the attention of public health folks uh, was it was a white powder that had been distributed. And there were a, there were quite a few overdoses from the single white powder. But at the time, the people who had died and used it didn't know what the white powder was. Um, the public health department ended up doing testing and found that it was just fentanyl. Um, and they were concerned, but but it didn't really come back that way. A few months later, what happened was it came back in the form of counterfeit Xanax pills. Um, and instead of being Xanax, they were fentanyl pills. And so these were, I think it was some teenagers, like young people who had taken the Xanax just kind of for fun um, and ended up overdosing because there was fentanyl in there instead. Um, and then you would have it. There were a couple of instances where it was found in methamphetamines. Um, there were, I think... The three people who died in the tent um, a couple of years ago in San Francisco. In San Francisco, I think they believed they were doing meth, and in fact, it was meth that was laced with uh, fentanyl. Um, and you write that that's that's a number of the deaths. People don't necessarily know they're doing fentanyl. Well, that was a big part of the reason why you would see so many you would see these overdoses from fentanyl is because people didn't know they were doing it. So if you're doing methamphetamine, you're not as gonna gonna be as concerned about overdosing. You're gonna take your usual amount, and then all of a sudden you're getting this hit of this extremely potent, you know, a synthetic opioid, and you're just down for the count. You're you're not expecting it. You're not probably even carrying Narcan. You just overdose, and you're, you're gone before you know what's going on. Um, and so that was sort of the problem for like a good four or five years in San Francisco was it would show up in drugs where people weren't expecting it. Um, what's really changed now, and this is just in the last like six to 12 months, is now people are actively seeking out fentanyl. Mm. So they're choosing to take this, um, which is a pretty remarkable shift. Yeah, it's it's now in the public consciousness. It's been linked to the deaths of um, people like Tom Petty, mm -hmm. Prince. Um, it's been all over the news. Uh, we've covered a number of outbreaks where um, people have died in, in bunches, uh, the men in the tent in San Francisco, Sacramento has had um, had sprees of deaths. So if it's out there and people uh, are seeing that others are dying at alarming rates, why are they still doing it? Well, uh, partly because it's cheaper. It's um, it's you can the idea is that you can get sort of a bigger hit um, for less money. Um, I think a lot of it, though, is just simply access. It's just there now that it's being manufactured and it's being brought into San Francisco and it's out there on the streets. People who have serious addiction um, are going to just kind of take with it whatever they can get their hands on. Um, it's like what Roger Boyd said when we talked to him. You know, he'd rather be doing heroin, but he's doing this just because this is what's kind of circulating. This is just what people are using. Um, and I think it's important to bear in mind that on the street, people who are using these drugs who have addiction, they're not even necessarily trying to get high. They're just trying to stave off withdrawal. They have a very serious physical addiction to these drugs. And if they don't take them regularly, they will get extremely ill. Um, and so they're, you know, they're not necessarily seeking out fentanyl because it's a better high. I mean, some of them are. That certainly is an issue that comes up. But a lot of times it's just what's going to what's going to keep me from feeling you know, awful, what's going to kind of keep me stable. And fentanyl is, is they feel like is going to do that, you know, better than 
than heroin, maybe. It's going to do it faster. It's going to do it cheaper. Um, but again, these folks know the trade-off. They they are very aware of what the risks are and just how how dangerous fentanyl is. And I, th- I think you write that they appreciate that they don't have to inject Yes, that is actually a factor. Um, And there is, interestingly enough, this sense of fentanyl being cleaner in a way. Um, The heroin in San Francisco is what's what's called black tar heroin, which is known to be kind of like it's not a great quality heroin. Um, This is something that I've heard repeatedly from people on the street and from kind of people in public health and harm reduction that our heroin is just not of a very good quality. And the thinking with fentanyl is, yeah, it's manufactured illicitly in a lab in China, but it's it's clean. It just is what it is. And even though fentanyl is always cut with something else, meaning it's mixed with some other kind of white powder, um, it's probably something like, you know, that they're familiar with. It's probably going to be meth. It's going to be cocaine. It's going to be maybe it'll be some heroin. Sometimes it's just cut with um, like sugar, like Mm. not literally sugar, but anything that is just sort of a white powder. But there's a sense that they feel like they know, you know, what's in it and it just looks cleaner. But yeah, the the injection part of it um, is a factor. I talk to people that because you can get that um, reaction from fentanyl with a smaller amount um, you can smoke it and get the same effect that you would from injecting heroin. Um, and people don't like using needles. People sure. on the street recognize that needles aren't safe, that they should be avoided, and they would rather smoke something. And so they feel like they can smoke fentanyl and get the same high that they would get from shooting up heroin. Last question. Uh, you talked about harm reduction and obviously addiction. Uh, what can be done to fight both addiction to fentanyl and the overdose deaths that we're seeing on the street? So um, addiction, I mean, those those are definitely two very different problems. Um, I get asked a lot about how we can keep fentanyl out of this, off the streets and out of the community. And the truth is that on a local level, there's not a lot that can be done. Um, that's really stuff that has to be handled by the DA on sort of a big kind of federal level to keep these drugs out of the country, however that happens. Um So the real focus is on harm reduction. How do we keep people safe and from hurting themselves? And there's a a very big um, public health campaign to get the message out to people. Um, And that's, again, you know, why they they talk openly. Um, So when you have needle exchanges, you have harm reduction programs, you have, you know, all kinds of kind of community events to spread the word. And, you know, the key things are don't use this alone. If you're going to use fentanyl, use it with your buddies, use it with a group of people. Um, earlier this month in June, um, we had, um, I think there were 10 overdoses in about a 10-day period from fentanyl um, in San Francisco. And nine of those 10 were people who were alone at the time they were using. I think all of them were in single-room occupancy units. Um, and that's just, I mean, the thinking is that they died because they were alone when they were using. Um, so that's the number one thing is is don't ever use it alone. The other thing is, you know, you want to use it in really small doses. So you don't know how potent the drug you're, you've bought is going to be. So you start with just the smallest amount, you know, you can you can light up and see how that hits you. Mm-hmm. And only then will you go on and use some more. And I mean, these are things, techniques that everybody uses. And unfortunately, the recent deaths would suggest that perhaps we could see another rise in 2019. Yes, for sure. All right, Aaron Alday, thanks for coming in again. A really alarming story, but we're glad that you're following it and keeping us up to date. Well, thanks for having me in here. Thank you to health reporter Aaron Alday for joining us. 
to Libby Coleman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.